the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. God doesn't beat around the bush. The law of God is direct. He says what he means, and he means what he says. Welcome to Core Truth Radio, a radio ministry of Core Church Los Angeles with pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn. Pastor Steve will be teaching the Word of God with truth from the Bible. For more information, go to corechurchla.org. That's corechurchla.org. Now here's Pastor Steve with today's Core Truth. We're picking up again in the study. This is part two. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 20 today, and I entitled this message, God's Law. Yes, God is the creator. He is the architect of all things. So therefore, because he's the creator, he has the right to set the standard by which his creation has to live by. We are all part of God's creation. He has every single right to tell us what is right and what is wrong and how we're to live. Our hearts beat in our chest because he made it so. Our lungs are breathing in air and excelling air. Why? Because God made it so. So that's why God wrote down in his word what is right and wrong. If he didn't, then humanity would do what? Well, well, I didn't know that. I didn't know. I mean, how many times have we said that already? I had no clue that was wrong. So God says, all right, I know how humanity is. So God clearly spells it out in the Bible. So how again did we get this Bible that we hold in our hands today? Well, it all started all the way back here with the Pentateuch, the Torah, the law of God, the first five books of the Bible. So the Hebrew scholars got together and said, this is going to be the criteria for what we call the Old Testament today. So there was many false prophets back in the day, just like there's many false prophets today. You know, people coming up and write all kinds of things. We got Joseph Smith writing the Book of Mormon. You know, we got Islam with, you know, the, the, the whole, you know, I mean, there's so many different things out there that are written. So how, do you, can, how can you say, well, what is of God? So this is what the Hebrew scholars did in 167 BC. They canonized what we call today the Old Testament. Okay, so it was canonized in 167 BC. So this is what they said. Okay, we're going to take the first five books of Moses, the first five books of the law, the Torah, and we're going to say nothing can contradict what Moses said earlier. So the 34 books, there's 39 books in the Old Testament. So the 34 books that came after the first five books, nothing could contradict one word that Moses said. Now there's 32 authors in the Old Testament. 95% of them didn't know each other. So these guys were all in different eras, different times, and they all wrote all these things, and the whole thing just meshes together just like this. Why? Because they're inspired by God, and it was canonized. Canonized meaning it's a standard or rule of truth. And so that was done in 167 B.C. So now you got the Old Testament, which has not changed one bit. Same thing, 167 B.C., to what we hold in our hands today. 
Then here comes the New Testament. The New Testament has to sit on the foundation of the Old Testament. So what's the number one criteria? Nothing in the New Testament can contradict anything that's in the Old Testament that was written by Moses and then the books following that. Nothing can contradict that. And then they added to the criteria of the New Testament. Nothing in the New Testament can be written by anyone other than those who walked with Jesus or they got their information from those who did walk with Jesus. So there was only eight authors who knew all of each other in the New Testament. They all knew each other. They walked with Jesus or they got the information from someone who did walk with Jesus like, you know, Luke who wrote the book of Acts and he wrote the book of Luke. He got all his information from all the disciples. He was right there. He was hanging out with them. He used to travel with the apostle Paul. So that's how we have the criteria. So now that we know what the criteria, the canonized scripture, the standard or rule of truth of the Bible that we hold today, says in Proverbs 30 verse 5, every word of God is tested. It's a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he reprove you and you be proved a liar. Now, the New Testament even adds on this and says, look, if you take anything away from God's word, like you want to pull this out, like this doesn't really go with my lifestyle. So I'm going to pull this out. Okay. God says, I'm pulling your name out of the book of life in heaven. Like you're not going to heaven. Don't even think about it. Okay. Then he says, if you add anything to the word of God, like I'm going to add things on top of it. He says, I will add the plagues that are in this book in your life. If you ever read the Bible, there's a lot of plagues in there. You don't want those in your life. Yes, God's law is unchanged. For God does not change and his law remains unchanged indefinitely. Yes, the word of God has stability. The Lord, word of God has longevity. It has durability. It has, it has indestructibility. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away. That's at the end of the tribulation period. Okay, he says, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls or takes away of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same, they shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whatever or whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So all these pastors that that choose to be life coaches and do nothing but tell you you're a champion and take away from the truth of God's word and will not confront you with the truth of God's word, he says they will be cursed when they stand before God one day in heaven. Yes, God never changes. Therefore, his word will never change. There is a permanence to God's word. It says in Exodus 31, 18, we'll look at it more when we get there. But he says, when he had finished speaking with Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave Moses the two tablets of testimony, tablets of stone, again, written by the finger of God. So God wrote personally, physically, literally the Ten Commandments on stone tablets, again, with his own finger. Wow. Again, God's law is engraved in stone by him himself. God did this to give all humanity a very clear standard to live by. Now, some people might say, 
Now, wait a minute. This was written so long ago. You know, we cannot expect to live under, you know, this set of rules here today. That thing was written like 3,500 years ago. Surely these are clearly outdated for us living in the 21st century. See, this is why we have progressive Christianity today. They embrace that. They say, oh, well, you know, this is a you know, whole new culture. You know, we, we have to adjust to the culture that we live in. If we don't, people won't follow us. It's like, well, then don't follow. Okay, you don't change what the Word of God says. And so this is where progressive Christianity, which again, I define progressive Christianity as not Christianity at all. Because you cannot change the word of God. You cannot change what he says for all the reasons that we already said. See, these people will say truth is only relative to where our culture and society is today. But again, first of all, truth never changes. See, two plus two is always four. You know, people will say there is no, you know, there is no real truth. It's like, oh yeah, there's truth. It's like two plus two is four. It's not three. It's not five. It's not four and a half. Two plus two is four. That is truth. It doesn't, it's not going to change. And God's word is the same thing. What is written is what it is, and it's not going to change. Truth is not relative in the sense that it can change with time. Meaning God, when he said that sin was sin, it's still sin today. doesn't matter if he said it 3,500 years ago or last week. It's the same thing. And those 613 laws, you know, established what truth was. Now, there are certain ceremonial laws given to the Jewish people that God did not carry over for us in the New Testament. It was something unique to the Jewish race that he created back then, like being circumcised. That was a commandment for every Jewish male to be circumcised on the eighth day. So he's not commanding us in the New Testament to be circumcised. If you're circumcised, great, but he doesn't command it. It's the New Testament. We're called to be circumcised in our hearts. So it's the same, it's the same commandment, but it's held out and it's carried out differently. Okay, so circumcision, if you know what that is, look it up later. But anyway, so, but it's like, you know, in the Old Testament, that was a sign that you were God's, one of his people. Okay, but the problem, here was the problem with it. And this is why God carries it out differently now. Because people would say, look, I'm circumcised. And therefore, I'm walking with God. It's like, uh, you're circumcised physically, but you're not walking with God because of your lifestyle. So this is what he tells us in the New Testament. This is men and women are to be circumcised of our heart. We're told in Colossians 2.11, it says, And in him, in Christ, you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of a part of your body of flesh. But now we are circumcised of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were now raised up with him through faith in the working of God, who raised you up with him from the dead. So it's a spiritual circumcision now that we're set apart. We're born again, born from above. And I've shown that by the act of baptism. I've been baptized. I went down under the water. The old person came up, the new person. See, there's another example that's recorded in the Old Testament that did not carry over. It's ceremonial washings. 
Now, this was primarily given to the priest. God was telling the priest, make sure that you have this, you have to wash yourself, you have to wash your hands before you take a sacrifice, kill an animal, and offer it for the sins of the people. So this was given to the priest. But the Jews of that day, they kind of passed it on to all people that you have to wash your hands before you pray and before you eat. Like when you go to the welling wall there in uh, Jerusalem, which is at the base, you know, of the Temple Mount. And you see all the people at the wall and they're, you know, they're praying and everything. You have to go wash your hands first before you go down to pray. And you have to wash your hands before you eat. Now, listen, we know it's good to wash your hands. I wash my hands before I eat any meal. But this was something that was given to the priests as they were offering a sacrifice for the sins of the people. And so the the Jews kind of took what was for one thing and kind of put it on all the people. And that's why they dealt with this in Jesus' day. Do you remember when the Jews confronted Jesus about his disciples eating lunch and not washing their hands first? Hey, what's with your disciples? They're not washing their hands. It's like, and what did Jesus say to them? In Matthew 15, 11, he said this. He says, it's not what enters into the mouth that defiles a man or a woman, but it's what proceeds out of the mouth that defiles a man or a woman. He says, look, first of all, you took this thing that was for the priest and you put it on all the people. And Jesus isn't saying you shouldn't wash your hands. You should wash your hands to get the germs off. But he's saying, it's not what you put into your mouth that defiles a person. It's how you live. It's what comes out of your lifestyle. That's what will defile you. It's your attitude. It's how you react to things. That's what will defile you. Yes, to this day, many will try to live by you know, certain other things in the law that did not carry into the New Testament, like the dietary law of God. This, again, was set for the Jews to set them apart in this Old Testament covenant. But you remember, in Jeremiah 31, 31, God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to refine this covenant. I'm going to give you a new covenant. And again, why? Because you never kept the first covenant. And the new covenant was going to be a covenant where they could really embrace and know God, that he would live inside of them. And so some people today will still try to keep the dietary law of God. Okay, I'm not going to eat certain types of animal and what have you. And they will embrace the original Sabbath day as Saturday. Oh, we're not going to worship God on Sunday. We're going to worship God on Saturday. And they tried to get others to do the same. But many of these things were given to God's chosen people, the Jews, in the Old Testament, living under that original covenant. But we are living in the age of grace, in the new covenant. And God has clearly shared with us what and how he desires us to live in this New Testament covenant. That was established in the Old Testament, Jeremiah 31, 31, 700 years before Christ was born. This is why we're told about diets and what we're to worship in Colossians 2, 16. It says, therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food, what kind of food you eat or drink or in the respect of a festival, a new moon or a Sabbath day, what day you worship God on. These things are a mere shadow of what is to come. But the substance substance belongs to Christ. Now, why do Christians meet on Sunday instead of Saturday? Well, this is why. When Jesus rose again from the dead, remember he was buried, he was crucified and buried on Friday. Saturday was the Sabbath. 
And then Sunday, the first day of the week, the third day, Jesus rose again from the dead. People celebrated that. This is the day the Lord resurrected. All the believers were together on that day, celebrating the day that the Lord resurrected on Sunday. And then, of course, what happened 50 days later? You know, uh, from the Sabbath, the day before Jesus rose again, the day of Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit of God came on and the church was born on the day of Pentecost. That's when the Holy Spirit came upon all people and actually entered into the true believer. And so now, what does the Bible say? Don't you know that you are the temple of God now? You don't have to go to the temple mount anymore. You don't have to go into that building. He says, you are the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwells in you. But when did that happen? On the first day of the week, on Sunday. It was that's when the Holy Spirit came upon and the church was born. So that's why Christians meet on Sunday. It's a celebration of the day that Christ rose again from the dead and the day that the church was born on Pentecost Sunday. So that's why we meet on Sunday. But he told us that no one could be a judge on what is your Sabbath. Yes, as Christians, we are not bound to keep those. But out of the Ten Commandments, there is only one commandment that is not carried over exactly. You know, and that is the fourth commandment, the Sabbath day. See, and it's not that God told us not to have a Sabbath day. We are still keeping the Sabbath day. It's just not on Saturday. But it includes Saturday. What do I mean by that? For the New Testament believer, God didn't remove the Sabbath. He enhanced the Sabbath for the true believer. So instead of having one day a week that we set apart for the Lord to remember the Creator, us Christians worship and remember Him 24-7. We remember the Lord 24-7 on a daily basis. I get up every morning. I have my devotions with the Lord. I pray every morning, not just one day a week. It's every morning. We go on vacation. Guess what? Devotions happen before we go out and do anything. We're going whitewater rafting today. Well, I better get up a little earlier, have my devotions first. Yes, Christians know God in a different way, but that's what God said would happen in Jeremiah 31, 31. It's personal now through Christ. We are now the sons and daughters of God. We can approach God. We can call him now, not just God, but we can call him what? What did Jesus say? Here, let me teach you how to pray, he said in Matthew 6, Sermon on the Mount. He says, here, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven. What? Our Father who art in heaven? This was revolutionary for that time. Because everyone in that time, they didn't want any peace with God. Do you remember When last week we studied in Exodus 19, do you remember the people came up to the mountain of God and God came down in the thunder and the smoke and he spoke to Moses and the people were terrified. They're like, oh my goodness. It's like, oh my goodness. See, now the relationship that we have with God is not through thunder and lightning. We can say our father who art in heaven. We can cry out to him, Abba. Abba, it says in Romans chapter 8. And that means we can cry out to him saying, Daddy, Daddy, or Papa, Papa. It's the most intimate of terms. We are now the sons and the daughter of God. How crazy is that? Listen to what it says in Exodus 20, verse 18. 
And all the people perceived the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of trumpets and the mountain smoking. Because they were watching all this as God was speaking to Moses. And when the people saw it, they trembled and they stood at a distance. And they said to Moses, you speak to us yourself and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us, lest we die. That's just like, it, it was just, it was hands off for the regular person and God. But that's not what God wanted for his people. Yes, today we have a relationship with God. Again, through Christ. And it is so much different than what these people had. We don't just keep the Sabbath one day a week on Saturday. We get to have this relationship with God seven days a week. It's personal. It's daily. And it's awesome. Which brings us to our third and final point. But first... Let's go back over and look at the first two. First, we looked at the origin of the law of God. It's been recorded to us by God himself. He's the author. He's the originator of his word. God literally speaking to his own creation. Then second, we looked at the unchanging law. It was first recorded by the finger of God on tablets of stone, and it's alive forevermore, and it does not change. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but God's word is eternal and it will not change. God doesn't beat around the bush. The law of God is, he's direct. He says what he means and he means what he says. So let's, as we end here today, let's look again at the actual 10 commandments. Our first commandment was in verse three of chapter 20. And it was, you shall have no other gods before me. Now, we know that there is no other gods. It says in Isaiah 43, there is no other gods. I mean, people will worship anything, though. They'll worship a rock. They'll worship a tree. So there is all kinds of gods that people have created in their minds, but they don't exist. I mean, I remember I was in the the tiki room at Disneyland. I was like eight years old. And I bought this little Buddha head on a, on a necklace. And I remember, you know, as an eight-year-old, I had him because he glowed in the dark. So I would talk to him, and I would talk to my little Buddha head, you know. He had eyes, but he couldn't see. He had ears, but he couldn't hear. He had a mouth. He, he never spoke to me. But we just, there's something inside of us. We want to worship something. And God's like, have no other gods before me. Is there anything in your life that you have put before God? That's a God. He says, don't have that before me. And the second commandment was in verse four. You shall not make for yourself any idol or any graven image. It's amazing to me, you go to the Catholic church and what do we have? A bunch of idols. There's the idols. Okay, there's the, there's the statues and here's the pictures. Yeah, but there's Jesus and all the disciples. And yeah, but you're breaking the second commandment. You don't have to have any of these things. And plus, what are these statues and everything? We don't know what Jesus looked like. We don't have any pictures of him. I mean, you see the one picture in the Catholic Church where Jesus looks like he should be on GQ magazine cover. He's got like blonde streaks in his hair. You know, and he's just like so cool looking. And what do we do in every Jesus movie? He's always the best looking guy. Like, oh, which one's Jesus? Oh, he's the cool one with the deep penetrating blue eyes. Okay, wait a second. Let me tell you what the Bible says on all the descriptions of Jesus. Okay, here's the descriptions of Jesus. One of them is he had no form or appearance that we'd be attracted to him. What does that mean? Well, it's not saying that Jesus was ugly. It's just saying that there was nothing that we'd be attracted to him. So he was just 
average-looking guy. The thing that attracted people to Jesus was who he was, how he spoke. He just speaks like no one has ever spoken before. Like I track along with him and I get it. See, it was who he was, not what he looked like. Okay, so he wasn't the beautiful person. He was just an average-looking human being, okay? So that's one description of Jesus. Another description of Jesus was when Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate. Okay, this was after he got scourged with a cat of nine tails, 39 lashes. A cat of nine tails was a whip with multiple strands of leather with bone and metal tied to the ends. Most people would die during the scourging. They scourged Jesus, beat him to a pulp, and they pulled him and they brought him back to Pontius Pilate. And Pontius Pilate looked at him and said, Behold the man. Because Jesus stood there after taking the beating of a lifetime. And he stood there. So Jesus was strong. Thanks for joining us for Core Truth Radio. You've been listening to pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn of Core Church Los Angeles. If you'd like to hear more messages by Pastor Steve, download the Core Church Los Angeles free app. Core Truth is sponsored by and is a listener-supported outreach of Core Church LA. If you've been blessed by this program, consider supporting our radio ministry by texting Core Church LA, all one word, to 77977. You can also give via our app and online at corechurchla.org. Or you can mail your support to P.O. Box 34789, Los Angeles, California, 90034. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.